Feeding children is one of the most basic human responsibilities. So why do we so often feel like we're failing at it? I'm Jane Black. And I'm Liz Dunn. We're moms and we're food journalists. And in Pressure Cooker, we tackle some of the thorniest issues around how we feed our kids. How important is family dinner? And why do kids refuse to eat their vegetables? To find out, we're talking to experts and hearing from parents locked in the daily struggle to feed little people with big personalities. Listen to Pressure Cooker wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Aislinn Green, and this is Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks one tricky topic in travel each week. And this week, we are exploring the intersection of travel and housing deprivation, or as many refer to it, homelessness. It is a very tricky subject, but one that is close to my heart. I have a close family member who has experienced homelessness, and I live in the Bay Area, which, as you may know, has struggled under the weight of a certain narrative around the topic. In fact, you may have seen recently that a TikTok star cut his trip to San Francisco short, citing several issues, including safety. I'm not going to go deeply into the issue other than to share my perspective, and that is that many parts of the city feel so alive and vibrant and safe, although I do challenge us all to explore how and when and why we use the word safe. I know that it can be scary and it can be uncomfortable when we encounter people who are altered or grappling with mental illness or simply without the comforts that I know that I take for granted. But when we as travelers avoid these feelings of discomfort, we're missing out on a larger story. There are larger systemic issues at play here, and we're not going to solve them with travel. But let's at least have the conversation. And that's what we're doing in this episode. We're going to meet a walking tour company that is bringing homelessness into the tourism narrative. Our guide is Rachel Parsons, a multimedia journalist and host of the solo travel series, The Peregrine Dame. She splits her time between LA and London, And that city is where she came across the groundbreaking work of Unseen Tours. Here at St. Giles in the fields, this was literally a field and it was where people came and they were hung, drawn and quartered. For my money, there's no better way to spend a couple of hours in a new city than a good walking tour especially one that reminds me I'm lucky to be alive in an era where I'm unlikely to be publicly eviscerated. I love a little history. He became a doctor for Henry VIII simply because he was found with three women. Because, of course, you know, he'd become a monk and monks aren't supposed to be be with women. A little architecture. St. Patrick's Church was no, not a church. It was actually a house. It was called Carlisle House. There's another Carlisle House over there, but this was a slightly dodgier one. And London is chock full of them. Not dodgy houses, though there are still plenty of those around. I mean walking tours, food tours, pub tours, architecture tours, history tours, street art tours... And, of course, the ubiquitous Jack the Ripper tours in the once gritty and dark East End. But I'm in the bright lights and polished, if commercialized, refinement of the West End. I'm joining guide Nick Shaw on one of her tours of the Soho and St. Giles districts. Soho is London's notorious nightlife hub. 
Opulent theaters and flat-faced Victorian brick buildings squeeze narrow sidewalks, forcing pedestrians onto equally narrow streets, the pavement of which covers most of the old cobbles. Once a den of iniquity, today Soho and St. Giles are known more for cheesy clubs and expensive restaurants than public executions. London's queer community also has deep roots in Soho. Nick stops in front of a door with an ornate knocker on a quiet pedestrian path called Flitcroft Street. In 1935, it was the door to Billy's, a gay members' club. Homosexual behavior being illegal, Billy's and the caravan club not far away were under heavy secret police surveillance. This is just two. Um, Goodness knows how many there were. Um... And they were open for about a year. And then the government came along and said, this is Satan's work. We have to close these places. And they did. What followed were aggressive raids by the Metropolitan Police and lengthy trials and sentences for scores of customers and club owners. We're all contemplating historical social injustice when Nick who's been leading tours since 2018, takes this moment to seg into some history of a personal nature. The only reason that I got a a decent home uh, was because I was was in hostels, but then I was put in this charity called Broadway, put me in um, with a girl, woman, sorry, who was uh, just come out of uh, rehab. She'd been on heroin. If this seems a bit non-sequitur for a history walking tour, it's because Nick is a guide with unseen tours. It's a social enterprise in London that hires people who were previously homeless. Nick Shaw spent about 12 years as one of the thousands of hidden homeless in this city, bouncing from hostel to hostel. Janie Goodka, the organization's CEO, tells me that Unseen Tours guides have lived through a range of homelessness, including living on the streets, known in Britain as Sleeping Rough. One note on the sound. Janie has agreed to meet me on a particularly miserable rainy day, even for London, and we've had to tuck away in a noisy coffee shop. To our tour guides, some have been rough sleeping in London for many years. Some have not experienced that form of homelessness, but they've experienced hidden homelessness. So they may have had hospital stays um, which left them homeless afterwards. We didn't have somewhere to go after their stint in hospital. Um, They may have slept in cars um, when they were displaced from wherever they were staying. Or they may have had, like, relationships break down and that may have led them to being homeless, staying in hostels, couch surfing sometimes. So it does vary quite a bit. And I think that's something we're keen to raise awareness about through our tours. To be clear, this is not poverty tourism, and Unseen Tours does not hire guides who are still homeless. Instead, Janie says if someone comes to them who's unhoused, the first order of business is to work with partner organizations to get a roof over their head before training starts. On her tour, Nick shares how she finally got into stable housing. Sometime around 2010, she can't quite remember. And that ended a dozen years of living one night to the next. 
She had help from social workers before finding Unseen Tours, and I will get back to that. But to understand her path out of homelessness, it's important to understand her journey into it. Before the tour, Nick invited me to her apartment, where we can talk away from the noise of the street. It's in a neat public housing complex with a lush green courtyard in Covent Garden on the edge of St. Giles. Her living room is overflowing with history books. There are stacks on the shelves, on the floor, on the tables. The walls are a vivid deep green and coordinate with Nick's green jacket, green jewelry, and green fingernail polish. At 67 and sober, Nick says she knows no one would look at her and think she'd been homeless. You're always going to get people think, oh, if you know homeless, look at them. They're just grounded. But people don't understand the situation. They really haven't a clue how things can change. And this is what I, I kind of start my tour saying. You never know. You just don't know what's going to happen in life. You start, everything's fine and lovely and you've got this and you've got that. Things don't always work out. Nick was born in 1956 in northwest England. She became a nurse, got married young, and had two children. From the outside, everything looked fine. And also people say they're fine, don't they? Oh, I'm fine. How are you, Rachel? Oh, I'm fine. Do you know what it stands for? Up, insecure, nervous and emotional. That is what it stands for. And it's true quite often, but we all kind of got this smile on our face. In Nick's case, the smile couldn't hide the bruises. Her husband was physically and psychologically abusive. She eventually left him. Time passed, and she met someone new, and for a number of years found love and stability. She was still nursing and studying criminology part-time. Then one day she came home from work and found her partner, dead. Painful years of past trauma and new loss manifested as mental illness and eventually alcohol addiction. Really things just fell apart. My sister said, come and live with me. And in East Dulwich. So I went to live with her, but my head was screwed. But back then, Nick says, her sister in London couldn't cope and didn't understand the depth of Nick's problems. She asked Nick to move out. With nowhere to go, Nick found a bed in a hostel that catered to the down-and-out, homeless, and people in the throes of addiction. She continued to work as a nurse. In fact, she held paying jobs and volunteer positions throughout her time unhoused, though she says much of her income went to alcohol. Nick Shaw was 42 when she moved into that hostel and became homeless. But, um, say homeless, but then there's lost, feeling lost, just feeling lost can be quite different. I feel like I was um, homeless a lot longer than I was, really, simply because I didn't have my own place, you know, just to call mine. She pauses and looks around her green sitting room. So this is my first ever. I created my own home. I did. This is my first own bed. First on floor, 
you know, it's all these little things. It's about something being you own. Helping guides reclaim that sense of ownership in their professional lives as well is a cornerstone of Unseen Tours' mission. But it's also about representation and visibility in the tourism business, an industry that does its best to render people living through homelessness invisible. As CEO Janie Goodka points out, who better to illustrate the fullness of lived experience in a place? If they've been sleeping on the streets, they know the streets better than anyone. They know the, the interesting personalities better than anyone. And they know the stories they want to tell. Janie says staff and volunteers work with guides on things like building confidence and public speaking, but are careful not to interfere with the essence of the guide's story. So we're really keen to make sure that the people that we work with um, are able to share their stories in their own voices without putting words into their mouth, without telling them what they should be saying and how they should be portraying homelessness because it's their individual experiences, their own unique experiences. And of course, everyone experiences homelessness very differently. Which is why each guide shares as much or as little of their background as they choose. And that brings me back to Nix. 99% of her two-hour tour is history and culture. But she shares her transition out of homelessness to highlight the holes in the safety net. Remember, she'd been sleeping in hostels for about 12 years when her social workers found her roommate and put them in public housing. The woman's name was Lana. She'd been on heroin. She'd been out of rehab for four weeks. I joined her. I'd never done drugs. Drink, yeah. Drugs, no. Lana quickly fell back into her heroin addiction. Things got dangerous when acquaintances of Lana's started coming around the apartment at all hours trying to kick in the door. Nick's caseworkers knew they had to get her out. They helped Nick into an apartment of her own. And Lana has not been seen for 11 years, so she's probably dead. Um, And uh, what you said... I believe it was only because of Lana, the situation with Lana, they got me out, which sounds awful. It seems I was the last person to see her. Although things turned out in Nick's favour, it could have easily gone differently because homelessness in London has only increased in the last decade, straining the city's support system. Liz McCulloch is policy and research manager at St Mungo's, a non-profit homeless services organisation. The most recent annual data we have showed that there were um, 10,053 people sleeping rough in London. So that was a 21% increase from the previous year. That's more than 10,000 people sleeping on the street. But like Nick, thousands more don't show up in the numbers. With hidden homelessness, Liz says there's no way to know for sure. But the problem with hidden homelessness is that it encompasses people who basically fall through the gaps of the system. So it's people who are sofa surfing, it's people who are maybe are sleeping in a secure place, maybe in a squat at night, and then during the day they maybe ride public transport. Um, and so these groups aren't being necessarily picked up as a specific group by statistics. We need to think about the hidden homes group in order to effectively tackle rough sleeping, because these are essentially people who are on the verge of sleeping rough. 
There's little that tourism professionals, and frankly a lot of travelers, are more allergic to than the sight of people sleeping on the street. Especially in a glamorous destination such as London, where tourism rakes in tens of billions of dollars a year. In our experience, um, people who've experienced homelessness are usually excluded from the tourism narrative. So if we think back to the London Olympics or the royal wedding of Harry and Meghan, people who were homeless were displaced from the areas in which these events were taking place because London or the UK in general didn't want to be seen as having this problem of homelessness when the world was watching. And it's not just London, it happens everywhere. I've witnessed it firsthand in cities as far-flung as Los Angeles, Rio and Manila when a large sporting event president or pope appears. And so, obviously, unseen tours, we think this is a missed opportunity and it's a shame because the insights that people have when they've been rough sleeping or just been homeless in a community, like, the new perspectives and the different quirky facts um, that they have about a community are just not something that are usually seen in walking tours in the tourism industry. So Nick and her colleagues understand the multi-layered context of their tour sites like few others. They also have a firm grasp of factual history. In Soho, Nick leads us to one of her favourite stops, Soho Square. She points out number 21, which, she says in the 19th century, contributed to Soho's infamous reputation for naughtiness. They bought this place and they made it into the Magic Hotel or the White House or various other names. It was, it was a brothel. They were high society dominatrix Teresa Barclay and a business partner. She's said to have invented the Barclay horse, a BDSM whipping rack. The upper crust of society and nobility were willing to pay Barclay handsomely for her absolute discretion and her cat and nine tails. As a letter from one of Teresa's prospective clients makes clear, Nick reads it to us. Pound sterling for the first blood drawn, two pounds sterling if the blood runs down to my heels, three pounds sterling if my heels are bathed in blood. £4 sterling if the blood reaches the floor and £5 sterling if you succeed in making me lose consciousness. <laughs> Serious well, stuff. Wow. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, if that's what you want, yeah. that's what you want. Nick's tour is all about history, but Janie says each guide curates their tour based on their interests and they have plenty of assistance from staff throughout that preparation. It's a very bespoke process. So we work with the guides on a one-to-one -one basis. It can take between three months to, I think, 21 months was the longest time it took to work one tour. That was next, by the way. But um, it, it's their tour and they own it. So it's the stories that they're most passionate about, both from their own experiences and the communities around them. A large part of the process is providing support services. Nick took nearly two years to create her tour to really learn the history of her patch, but also to build the self-assurance needed to get in front of strangers. The challenges that people with experience of homelessness have can vary so much. So some people may need some more support with mental health, mental well-being, trauma they may have experienced when they were homeless. Some people may have lost their confidence because they felt invisible when they were experiencing homelessness. So how can we 
change that to help someone build up their self-confidence, their self-worth, um, help them with public speaking skills, other skills that they may need to create their walking tours. But also, um, we find that the people we work with are just fantastic storytellers. They have really interesting stories to tell, not just of their own experiences, but also stories about London, stories of the community that they live in and they know so well. Since Unseen Tours started in 2010, 24 guides have hosted more than 25,000 tourists throughout London. The organization is developing plans to expand to other cities in the UK and abroad. Janie says in the end, she hopes that tours spark a deeper dialogue between customers and guides. Just to help have conversations about homelessness with people who often just don't have a chance to speak about these topics and who may have kind of stereotypes or stigmas that they personally associate with homelessness, their own prejudices, for example. So having these conversations in quite an open, frank manner. For Nick Shaw, her tours are about piercing the glitzy veneer of London's West End, especially of those who live in it. Just don't believe what you see. Just because somebody looks okay, people put on such a facade... In the years that I've been travelling to and living in London, I've seen its facade crack as homelessness worsens and the holes in the safety net stretch. I've always believed as a traveller I have a responsibility to see the full spectrum of a place, warts and all, to understand it in its context. I believe shutting my eyes to the ugliest aspects of a place does me and the destination a grave disservice. Walking through Soho with our small group, I have a deep sense of admiration for Nick Shaw, for the strength it takes to stand in front of total strangers and talk about the worst years of her life three times a week, for her willingness to be vulnerable and for her resilience, for her insistence on being seen and acknowledged, and compassion for all those she represents who remain unseen. And that was Rachel Parsons. We'll link to her work in the show notes as well as to Unseen Tours. And when they expand to other cities, we will be sure to let you know. And if you take a tour with them, be sure to let us know. Love to know what you think. Next week, we'll be back with our first unpacking episode of the season. This one exploring all things Albuquerque, New Mexico. Ready for more unpacking? Visit Afar.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram and X. We are at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's exploration, I hope you'll come back for more great stories. Subscribing always makes that easy. And be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platforms. It helps other travelers find it. And if you ever want to ask a question or suggest a topic for coverage, you can reach out to us at afar.com slash feedback or email us at unpacked at afar.com. This has been Unpacked, a production of Afar Media. The podcast is produced by Aislinn Green and Nikki Galtaland. Music composition by Chris Collin. And remember, the world is complicated. We're here to help you unpack it.